hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. This story is somewhere between today and church history. It's a little more of a modern story, and it was shared with me by a very dear and wonderful friend, a saintly woman that I worked with at the Missionary Training Center back in 1983-84, somewhere in that area, Laura Palladius Whittier. She lives in Sugar City, Idaho. This was an experience that Laura shared with me, and I'm sharing it with you because it is singular. It's unique, marvelous story. She says, it was the fall of 1983. This is my words, not hers. Two wonderful sister missionaries, Laura Pilatus at that time from Idaho and sister Martha Workman from San Jose, California, were serving in the Michigan Dearborn Mission. By the way, Laura pointed out to me, she's lost track of sister Workman. Marty Workman, she was known as from San Jose. If any of you can find her and put her in touch with me, I think Laura would be grateful. Anyway, they were serving in the Michigan Dearborn Mission at that time. They were on their way to an appointment. Well, that morning, on the morning of a special appointment to teach Anne, Martha, Sister Workman, had arisen and somewhere around the time of their gospel study had said to Sister Pilatus, I had the most unusual dream. I want to tell it to you. And so she began to share this dream. She started to share the dream with Sister Pilatus when Sister Pilatus interrupted. And as she relates it, this is a quote from Sister Pilatus, as she started describing the dream to me, I stopped her and said, I had had the same dream months earlier, and instead of it being with my companion, she said, I thought I was with my sister. And she said, I thought we were in Idaho near the river bottoms because that's where I knew there were lots of deciduous trees like the countryside of Michigan. Well, in our dreams, she said, Sister Pilatus, Sister Workman, this shared, unique dream where they saw the same thing. In our dreams, we came in a car up a country lane through trees, to a white two-story house with a back porch that had red geraniums hanging on it near the back. And she said, my companion and I could describe in detail to each other the home, what it looked like, and what it looked like on the inside. Our dreams, she said, were so alike in the details that she said, we were amazed. Well, according to Sister Pilatus, Sister Whittier, after this experience during their companion study, and at the appointed hour, they got in their car to go teach their new investigator. Her name was Anne. Now, Anne herself was a very religious and devout woman, not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
She'd had a roommate in college, however, who was a Latter-day Saint, and a very close friend had recently joined the church. And they were family friends, and so it inspired Anne. She wanted to know more. The arrangements were made. Evidently, the appointment was set up, and these two wonderful sisters now drove out through the Michigan countryside to go meet and teach Anne for the first time. As they turned up the lane, it was the same lane in the dream, the trees, the two-story white house, the red geraniums on the back porch. They went inside. It was the exact home that the both of them had seen in the dream. Everything was there. They were even invited to come inside and sit down and teach Anne at the dining room table with a lace tablecloth under a hanging chandelier, just as they had seen. Moreover, before they were through, Sister Pilatus even played the piano, just as they had both seen in the dream. Well, Laura told me that Anne knew right away that this was the true gospel she had been seeking her whole life and was anxious to join. Her husband, Bill, was at first very much against it. In time, however, his heart softened and he allowed Anne and their daughter, Heather, to be baptized. In 1994, after a most miraculous conversion, Bill, too, was baptized. Today, Anne and her family are very active in the church. And the legacy of faith continues in Bill and Anne's posterity. Whatever else that unusual dream meant to those two dedicated sisters, well, I asked Laura, and she said, and these are my words, not hers, but the meaning, it assured them that they were in the right place and that they and the missionaries who followed up in teaching Anne and her family, it gave them, quote, the peace, the patience, and faith to move forward to overcome all the obstacles that seemed to be thrown up to try and prevent the gospel from reaching their lives, end of quote. I have to say, Sister Whittier, Sister Workman, if you're out there somewhere, I've never heard of an experience like that with a shared dream. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and I tell you, just when you think you have him figured out, you discover you are miles away. Well, this next story takes us back to the summer of 1902, when elders Heber, Crozier, Kimball, and George Quincy Stevenson were laboring as missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in western Kentucky. They were summoned by their mission president and received word that there was a man in Logan County, Kentucky, who wished to be taught and to be baptized. Then the president informed the two missionaries, oh, and by the way, Missionaries were driven out of that county 15 years ago, and they haven't been back. 
But if they were careful, he promised, and used wisdom, all would be well, quote unquote. Well, they journeyed. As they reached the county, Elder Kimball records, We had a feeling different from any we had had before, and we both remarked that we must be in Logan County. After inquiring, we found out that we were. The people seemed very prejudiced towards us, knowing who we were because of our dress. Well, the two elders found the man that they were seeking who wanted to be taught and were cordially welcomed. That afternoon, as they were teaching the man and his family, the brother of the man's wife, who was a minister, came to the home with two others and commenced a blasphemous tirade against the church and against its leaders. Well, the elders, not to be cowed, stood their ground, bore their testimony, asked him some pointed questions, when in a great big fluster, he went off in frustration, saying, quote, that he would see that our cases were attended to, Elder Kimball said. Well, they paid him no mind as he left. They went on with their teaching. However, about dusk, they began to notice groups of men gathering around the house. The man of the house came to Elder Kimball and said to Elder Kimball, I have sinned awfully in not telling you that there was a bundle of hickory sticks laid across the door, meaning of his house, with a note pinned to it that said that if any Mormon elders came here, they would be hanged as high as Haman. End of quote. I had some hair-raising experiences on my mission, but only threatened with death, as I can recall, once. Well, the man of the house offered to load up his gun and defend them. But Elder Kimball volunteered, bless his soul, Elder Heber Crozier Kimball volunteered to take the punishment, whatever it might be. But his companion, Elder Stevenson, responded and said, no, if there is any whipping, we will take it together, end of quote. Elder Stevenson was not a healthy man at that time and not a very big man. Well, the mob drew near, threateningly, when all of a sudden Elder Stevenson announced, Elder Kimball, if you will come with me, neither one of us will be whipped. And at that point, Elder Stevenson led him outside to a secluded grove of trees where they knelt and began to pray. Elder Kimball recorded this prayer. He said, Elder Stevenson addressed our Heavenly Father in this manner. Father, we are here in thy service. We have left our wives and little children to bring the message to the world. A wicked mob has gathered to do us violence. In thy power and majesty, cause this wicked mob to disperse and run like cur dogs. End of quote. Wow. Elder Kimball then recorded, We arose 
to our feet, and we heard the mob running in every direction. Truly, he said, we were made to realize that the wicked flee when no man pursueth. Well, the man of the house wanted to post a guard over them that night, but Elder Stevenson once again assured them that no harm would come. And sure enough, they went to bed and slept soundly and peacefully. The next day, the man was baptized and confirmed unmolested. Elder Kimball records this tender scene. As they, meaning he and Elder, as the man and Elder Stevenson, came out of the water, our friend, the new convert, took us, one in each arm, and hugged us to his breast and remarked, Does all the church love each other as we three? End of quote. Elders Heber, Crozier, Kimball, and George Quincy Stevenson finished the Lord's errand in Logan County and left in peace. That's a fair question. Does all the church love each other as those three? I hope so. Now, this last story, again, I know I say this a lot, but this is different than most of the ones that I've shared before. Very powerful. I dedicate this story tonight to my friend and partner, Jason Tonioli, who helps me with these stories and getting them out in the subscriptions and the VIP, all of that, and the books that are published, like Tell Me the Stories of the Old Testament, all of that's Jason and his team. Jason recently wrote a new arrangement of this song. I'm telling you this story in remembrance of this special song. Here's the story, and I'll tell you the song in a few minutes. Horatio Spafford came to Chicago in 1856 to practice law. He was a devoutly religious man and soon formed associations with other evangelical Christians, Reverend Moody and others. In those early days in Chicago, Spafford wasn't just a Sunday-go-to-meetin' kind of Christian. He put his Christianity into practice. Notwithstanding he was a lawyer, he taught Sunday school classes, and then visited the sick, those in prison, ministering wherever he could. In 1857, he first met Anna Larson. She was a somewhat recent convert from Norway. Horatio was taken with her beauty and her poise and her self-confidence. However, Anna was only 15 years old. So Spafford enabled her, paid her way through an elite woman's academy to finish her education. When she graduated at the age of 18, they got married. During the Civil War, Anna and Horatio volunteered and served the cause wherever they could. Horatio continued as a lawyer, senior partner in their firm, and as a professor of law. In 1870, the Odyssey 
of Job began. Their four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever. Then a year later, in October 1871, the Great Chicago Fire broke out and reduced Chicago to ashes, taking with it most of Horatio's fortune invested in real estate. Well, notwithstanding their loss during the fire and rebuilding, the Spaffords worked to assist others stricken by the fire. In 1873, the family decided to take a holiday and go to Europe. But right at the last minute, Horatio was detained with public business. It had to do with zoning the city and rebuilding after the fire. And so he sent his wife and his four remaining children on ahead. It was Anna, their 11-year-old daughter, also named Anna, 9-year-old Margaret, otherwise known as Maggie, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta. November 22nd, 1873, their ship, I don't speak French, so pardon me, their ship, the Ville du Havre, was rammed midships in the middle of the ocean by an iron vessel, the Lockharn. The Ville du Havre sank in 12 minutes. It would be the worst maritime disaster, I am told, of the late 19th century until the sinking of the Titanic. 226 people lost their lives, among them the four daughters of Horatio and Anna Spafford. Anna would later recall that at the moment of the collision, they ran out on deck. She held Tanetta in her arms and gathered her children close and looked for a chance to escape. She attempted to comfort and assist the other passengers. But when the ship tipped onto its bow and started to go under, the babe Tanetta was torn from her arms and swept away, as were all of the other girls in the whirlpool created by the sinking ship. The accounts differ, but all four girls perished, either by drowning or succumbed to the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Anna, by some miracle, was found floating on a piece of planking, and she was rescued. She was only semi-conscious, mostly unconscious, when they found her. And they pulled her ashore and she discovered, or pulled her onto the ship and discovered that her daughters were gone. In her anguish, she wanted to throw herself overboard. But she would later say that she heard a still small voice speaking to her. You were saved for a purpose. She records also that in those moments, she said, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday, I will understand why. With the rescue ship, she was taken to Cardiff, South Wales, where she sent a telegram to her husband back in Chicago. 
and it read simply, Saved, alone. What shall I do? Horatio immediately boarded another ship and set out to join Anna in Wales. As they sailed across the North Atlantic, it is reported that on one specific day, the captain of the vessel that Horatio was on called him to the bridge, pointed to his navigation chart, and informed Horatio that they were passing over the exact spot where the Ville du Havre went down. It is reported that Spafford returned to his cabin and with emotions we can only imagine, he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. It would become the beloved Christian hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. A few days later, Spafford's faith would shine through again. He wrote in a letter to his sister-in-law, On Thursday last we passed over the spot where she went down in mid-ocean. The waters, he said, three miles deep. But I do not think of our dear ones there. They are safe, dear lambs. End of quote. Well, in the days ahead, the Spaffords returned to Chicago. In the years ahead, three more children were born to them. But like Job, the trials of the Spaffords were not over. No, their son, born after they'd returned to Chicago, again named Horatio Jr., just like the other son that had died, died at the age of four. It is said that the people of their congregation, and I won't name the congregation, the people of their congregation began to gossip. Rumors began to circulate that God must surely have cursed the Spaffords for all of the misfortune that has been theirs. You can't imagine such cruel talk. Well, the Spaffords made a decision. Horatio and Anna Spafford left Chicago and their church and became independent, free-thinking Christians. They immigrated to Jerusalem, where they established the famous American colony. There, Horatio and Anna lived out their days, practicing the full measure of Christianity as they understood it, with the colony and the hospitals and the nurses and the feeding and, and the farming and all that they did, all were loved. All were served. All were welcomed and ministered to Jew, Gentile, Arab, foreigner, local. Everyone was welcomed, served, fed, and loved. Anna and Horatio Spafford gave all they had in a land of enemies and allies and took no sides in doing it. 
Today, Anna and Horatio Spafford are buried in Jerusalem, awaiting the day of the Lord's second coming that they so anxiously anticipated when the Lord would return and call them up. Indeed, it is well with their souls. And I close with this question. Is it well with yours? I have need to repent, and I will do and do better. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.